This is episode 21 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, I talk about the great mind readers, the Zansigs. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 21. This is my second episode where I talk about uh, the early days of mentalism and mind reading, and today's topic is a couple that did a second sight act, a telepathy act, a mentalism act, if you will, uh, called the Zansigs. But before we get to that, I have a little bit of magic history news to cover. First, you have to pick up the latest copy of Genie Magazine. It's the May 2019 edition, and read the article on George Marquise. And I'm not going to give you the whole story, just a condensed version. The main article was actually written in 1965 by David Price of the Egyptian Hall of Fame. And the completed article was some 10,000 words and was eventually pulled by request of George Marquise himself. So who was this guy, Marquise, and what was the deal on the article? Well, Mike Cadney does an incredible job filling in all the blanks. And there are actually, in the issue, there are actually three articles uh, on this whole topic. The first one is the story behind the story, then the article that was written in 1965 but never published, and then Caveney's classic correspondence column that gives you even more insight into things. It's a must read, and I only wish I had all this information to make a podcast out of because it is great. So I encourage you to check that out. Secondly, um, I just found out that there is another Magic History Conference coming up uh, this year. It's called the, uh, let me see here, the Great Southern Magic Collectors and History Conference. It's September 6th through the 8th, 2019 in Orlando, Florida. To find out more, please go to magic-palooza.com and you can find out all the information there. Uh, I also am going to do uh, contest number four, but you'll have to wait till the end of the episode to find out what the question is going to be, because I want to get into today's topic. Now, I am fascinated by mentalism. It's one branch of the art that I kind of left off my plate all these years. I have studied and performed Grand Illusion. I've studied and performed Escapology. I've, I've studied and performed uh, Manipulation Magic. I'm a Chavez grad. Uh, and Frankly, I've performed pretty much every kind of magic there is, with the exception of mentalism. And actually, what's funny is in my early days, when I first started, I did a couple mentalism routines, but I found out really quickly that uh, the believability factor for a 10-year-old mentalist is not really there. So I just decided to wait until I was a little bit older to uh, dabble into mentalism. And now don't get me wrong, I've done mentalism routines. I've just never done an entire mentalism show. I am just really enjoying researching these different characters. My first podcast on this topic was episode 15, The Three Pioneers of Mentalism. And today I'm going to take another step into the crazy world of mind readers and clairvoyance by sharing the life story of a husband and wife team. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Zansigs, their tagline, two minds, but with a single thought. 
Now, their real names were Julius Jorgensen. He was born in Copenhagen, Denmark, March 7th, 1857. His partner was born Agnes Clausen, also in Copenhagen, and born in 1849. Julius moved to the U.S. in around 1882, and a short time after he arrived, he actually met uh, Agnes at a gathering of uh, Danish people. They had known each other in Denmark, but they hadn't seen each other in a while, and here they are meeting again, and they kind of a re rekindled a friendship, and actually that friendship turned into marriage. When they were living in Denmark, Julius's father had him apprenticed into the iron smelting industry, so when he came to America, this was one of his first jobs. An unusual request came after the uh, the couple had gotten married. They were attending church, and this <laughs> unusual request was to perform at a church function. And because they didn't play any sort of instrument, they decided to try their hand at telepathy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, can't, I can't play an instrument, so let's read minds instead. That's, I see it. That's how that works. Okay. And uh, I'm going to guess that at some point, Julius may have had an interest in the subject or maybe picked up uh, a pamphlet that exposed the, uh, the methods on this, maybe. Regardless, they started with the, the work of Robert Heller uh, with his Second Sight Act and expanded upon it. And uh, incidentally, if you'd like to learn more about Robert Heller, you can listen to episode 14, which is all about him. Uh, at any rate, they gave their crude demonstration and were surprised at how well it went over. And according to Will Goldston's book, Sensational Tales of Mystery Men, Zanzig had an accident at the smelting plant. He badly burned his uh, hand and was out of work for a while. And during his recovery, he decided that he was going to leave the ironworks plant and try his fate in the world of mind reading. Imagine that after one show. Hmm. And according to numerous sources, their career began in 1899. Uh, this is when they start to present their telepathy act at San Susi's Amusement Park in Chicago, Illinois. And this is even uh, confirmed by a short article about them that I found in Mahatma magazine in 1902. The uh, book Sensational Tales of Mystery Men has them at Coney Island and claims that Horace Golden discovered them there and later introduced them to Oscar Hammerstein. And I have a feeling that the Coney Island thing may be incorrect, but it is possible that Golden saw them at the San Susi Park. And, uh, the, of course, the Oscar Hammerstein connection is correct. Uh, he brought them to New York City to play his roof garden at $400 a week. The couple also performed at countless private functions for the High Society of New York City. And long before Steve Cohen took up residency at the Waldorf Astoria, the Zanzigs had performed there for 12 weeks. In 1903, they met H.B. Levitt, a theatrical producer who organized a globe-trotting tour for them, and indeed, they did travel the globe. They eventually arrived in London at one point, and they soon became a sensation. In 1906, the Zanzigs gave a command performance before King Edward VII at Buckingham Palace. After this, they toured across England, as they had done before, and again, the sensation continued. In the book Illusion Show by David Bamberg, he talks about his family running into the Zansigs on a train in Norway. Agnes Zansig asked Okido if their young son David was going to follow in his footsteps, because if he wasn't, she could make a mind reader out of him. And remember that anecdote for later. 
here's a write-up from the Sphinx magazine. It's in uh, 1906, and this is about their act. It goes like this. The mysterious Zansigs were a strong feature of the Orpheum the week of November 6th. Their act is certainly a great one in every sense. They work rapidly and accurately in all their tests and are never baffled by any of the attempts made by the audience to fool them. Their exhibition may be turned telepathy, mind reading, second sight, or by any other name. It just goes the same. Mr. and Mrs. Zansig honored the Sphinx with their presence and during their call favored us with a private exhibition of their extraordinary powers. While this gifted couple were visiting Mammoth Cave recently, they had one pleasure of giving an entertainment in the bridal chamber of that wonderful cave. By the way, Mammoth Cave is a national park and cave in Kentucky, and one of the areas within the cave is called the Bridal Altar or the Bridal Chamber, and this is where, in 1906, the Zansigs gave a impromptu performance. So you could actually check that out yourself if you wanted. In a 1906 issue of The Conjurer's Monthly magazine, Houdini writes this about the Zansigs. Their act is about the best of its kind that we have ever seen, and we have seen almost all. In 1907, they were hired to work at the Victoria Roof Garden. They had an extended run that went into 1908 with an amazing salary of $1,500 per week, the most ever paid to a mind-reading act at the time. From there, they went to the Alhambra for a seven-month run, then off to the Winter Garden in Germany, then back to America before the year was up. In 1910, they were requested to return to England and Buckingham Palace to perform again, this time during the coronation of King George V. They remained in England until 1913, when they finally returned to the U.S. It would appear that over the years, in the summer seasons, when theaters were closed, and by the way, if you're not familiar with this, back at the turn of the century, theaters often closed in the summertime because they didn't have air conditioning. So the whole summer they were they were closed, unless they had uh, some other accommodation. Some theaters had roof theaters where the breeze made it easier for, it, kind of, it was kind of an open air theater kind of thing. But most were, were closed during the summer. And uh, during those months, the Zansigs would often perform at state fairs doing palmistry and private readings. In 1915, Agnes became ill, and she and Julius moved to Washington, D.C. Why anybody would want to move to Washington, D.C. is beyond me. Uh, it's where I live. Uh, actually, it's, it's well known that political types were fond of palmistry and mind reading, as was shown in the testimony of Houdini before Congress in 1926. And if you're interested in finding out more about that, see Episode 7. Anyway, Agnes died... April 8th, 1916, and she's actually buried in the District of Columbia. Julius now found himself with a clairvoyant act and no partner. The hunt was on to find someone new. He hoped to find a female, but he was having no luck. His solution then was to add his son to the show. How simple, except he didn't have a son, no. But what he did have was uh, he hired Paul Vucci to play the part of his son, and they continued on with the act. Now, Paul Vucci, by the way, would later go on to become Paul Rosini. And some sources say that Paul was drafted into the military, which cut his time with Zanzig short. However, 
Uh, Chuck Romano, in his fine book, House of Cards, The Life and Magic of Paul Rossini, discovered that Paul did not get drafted, as he was only 16 when the last draft for World War I took place. The final record was Paul Rossini's death certificate, which does not even list him as a veteran. So uh, exactly why he left the Zanzig show, we don't really know. You can only speculate at this point. Julius next added another youngster to the show by the name of David Bamberg. Now, recall what I said earlier, that conversation that Agnes Zanzig had with Okido, his wife and young David in 1906. Well, that was about to come true, but not without some convincing first. David at this point was 13 years old and his parents didn't like the idea of their son going off to do this mind reading as he had schooling yet to finish. They asked Harry and Bess Houdini their opinion, and Houdini even agreed. He said nothing should come before his schoolwork. Zanzig told the Bambergs he was leasing a building, and the lower floor would be a studio for him to do readings, but oddly enough, the upper floors were, well, they were vacant. And, well, if they wanted, they could have them rent-free if they liked. Well, the next thing you know, they agreed to let David join the show. Imagine that. Amazing. And Houdini would have a little bit more involvement yet. Uh, he was the one who gave David Bamberg a stage name as a young mind reader. He would be known as Psycho, which is spelled S-Y-K-O. So that name came from Houdini. And it must have been some sort of package deal because uh, they started to build themselves as the Zanzig Trio, which was Theo. He would do the magic. Theo, who was also a Quito. Uh, Theo would do the magic, and David, known as Psycho, would work the clairvoyant act with Julius Zanzig. And David and Julius worked together really well. They did many private engagements and public events, and David had learned the technique really quickly, and together they started to add additional methods to the act. They actually came up with a way of telegraphing a picture from one of them to another. Basically, it was like, think a picture. And it was a mind-blowing addition, as no other mental acts were, had anything like that in their repertoire. In 1917, the Zanzigs were chosen as one of the acts in the Antilles Benefit Show at New York's Hippodrome Theater. This was the show where Harry Keller was coaxed out of retirement by Houdini to return to the stage one last time. The Zanzigs did 12 minutes in that show, and this is uh, a description of the act according to Sphinx magazine. Julius Zanzig and his assistant had a hard row to hoe, and it's no joke to work a thought transference act on such a large stage and hold the interest of the whole crowd, but he did it. He worked about 12 minutes without losing the audience. He is working with four books, from any one of which a spectator may select any desired line or paragraph, which is read from the stage by the assistant. He has all four books in play and went through without a break. His best stuff now is sending given names and surnames with but one or two questions. And I believe because of the date that this was David Bamberg working with Julius at this particular show. Uh, along with the shows, they often did readings downstairs in the studio. David Bamberg realized this was the seedier side of the business. Though watching Zanzig, he also realized that Julius 
honestly cared about the people that were coming in. And through his cold reading skills, he could tell people their problems without them having to divulge anything. And he always tried to give them very solid advice to help them with their troubles. He charged a fair price, never tried to rip people off, and often even returned some money to those deemed to be a little down on their luck. But all was not sunshine and roses, and the end was soon to come. It appears that the Zansigs, with Julius and David as psycho, were playing a private engagement, a lot of private engagements, but one of them was for Charles Schwab. Yes, the Charles Schwab, the multimillionaire, not the business. Uh, Mr. Schwab removed a $100 bill from his pocket and said, if the kid can read the serial number, he can have the money. Well, using their special technique, Psycho named off every number on the bill. Schwab, duly impressed, handed the money to Julius. And after the show, David asked about the money, fully expecting to get half the money, $50. Julius handed him a $1 bill and said, Here, this is your share. Young David Bamberg blew his stack. He had finally had enough and he abruptly quit. All was not lost, however, because behind the scenes, Julius had remarried in May of 1918, this time to a girl named Ada. He trained her in the act, but worked with David while she was still learning the act. The split between Julius and David was the perfect opportunity for Ada to join the show. Ada would also go on to uh, go by the name of Agnes for the show, and this made the public unaware that this was an all-new wife. Julius finally had his wish, a female to fill the role left behind by his first love. In 1920 and 21, the Zansigs worked with Survey Leroy in a show that they created called The Unseen World. And for more information on that show, check out episode four of the podcast. In 1922, they apparently opened a studio in Washington, D.C. They even performed at the White House for President Warren G. Harding. Their studio was at 904 14th Street Northwest, and that area has been completely redone, so there's no sign of their studio today. Interestingly, they actually uh, had an apartment on L Street, not far from there, and if uh, I looked at those two locations and I realized that from either one of those locations, they could actually walk to the location where Al's Magic Shop used to be. And at one time, Al's was the go-to place in Washington uh, for magic run by Al Cohen. Uh, it's not there anymore, unfortunately. Also in 1922, none other than Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was in town lecturing on spiritualism. And he caught a performance of the Zansigs. This was the second sight act that Agnes and Julius had made famous, now being presented by Julius and Ada. His wife Ada would be blindfolded while Julius went into the audience to hold various objects. Ada would name each one exactly. Doyle was amazed and made arrangements for a private demonstration. According to the Ken Silverman book on Houdini, Mrs. Zansig stood at the far end of the room from her husband, the side of her face to him. Doyle reported to Houdini that although no word had passed between the couple, Mrs. Zansig repeated names and duplicated drawings of a ship and other objects that he and his wife had made and showed to Zansig. Sir Arthur was convinced that they were the genuine article. They could really read minds. That was quite the endorsement for the Zansigs. Uh, 
On January 1st, 1924, New Year's Day, the Zanzigs once again were playing the Alhambra in London to sell out audiences. Even at this age, Julius could deliver. On August 8th, 1925, Houdini began a series of letters to Zanzig regarding his how-to-think-of-a-picture routine. This is the one where Zanzig could apparently mind-read drawings and, and send them to his partner. Zanzig revealed all to Houdini, though apparently Houdini did not fully grasp the method. Uh, it took several letters back and forth for Houdini to really understand what was involved. And keep in mind, though, that these were mind-reading techniques, very different than regular magic. And and also, Zanzig was known to not exactly give away all the details of his act, because, I mean, after all, this was his livelihood. In 1927, the Zanzigs moved to Santa Monica, California. They continued to perform, but uh, most of their work was given... Uh, giving readings. Julius became ill during this time and had two operations to help relieve some of the incredible pain he was in. Sadly, on July 29th, 1929, Julius Zanzig passed away. In the book Sensational Tales of Mystery Men, a letter is re reprinted from Ada Zanzig. She complained a little bit about some of the people who thought she was not very bright. After all, she had been a college-educated school teacher, and she was very intelligent. She also was a very good partner to Julius, both on stage and off. She learned their technique very quickly and was very proficient at it. Uh, she says that since Julius's death, she was busy giving readings and selling books on the occult, many of which they wrote. She also had pupils she was teaching the mind-reading act to found that interesting. She wrote very lovingly of her husband, and then she finishes with this line. I know he must be enjoying a glorious freedom from pain and a fine rest with some congenial companions of the past. His wife Agnes must have been glad to welcome him by her side after all these years of separation. Now, throughout all of this podcast, I have not given away the secret of the Zanzig Act, which could be summed up in a couple words, but in truth, I don't know that it can. I mean, sure, I could give you a simplified, summarized version in a few words, but you, you still wouldn't understand how the act works. And from the writings of Houdini and David Bamberg and Will Goldston and others, it's clear to me that Zanzig used many different methods, not just one single method. Uh, but I will give you a secret that is not often discussed. Zanzig wore glasses because he claimed he had vision problems. But the truth was, he could read writing from very far distances. And so much like Chung Ling Su, who was really an American pretending to be Chinese, Zanzig played the part of a vision-impaired psychic. Um, but he could see better than most people. Oh, and uh, though to the public, he may have seemed to be able to really read minds around his fellow magicians. He made no sorts of claims at all of supernatural powers. A further proof of this was his long-standing membership in the Society of American Magicians. And that, my friends, is the story of Julius, Agnes, and Ada Zanzig, one of the greatest mind-reading acts of all time. So here's a uh, little bit more information for you. First off, the contest. Let's get to that really fast. Uh, the contest question, contest number four is, what famous celebrity was an assistant to Kuda Bucks? Now, when I say assistant, I, I mean actually worked 
for Cuda Bucks. Uh, send your answers to info at carnegiemagic.com and put contest four in the subject heading. I'm going to pick a winner from uh, just randomly from among all the winning answers, assuming there be more than one. Uh, I'll contact you via email to let you know that you've won and uh, you will be winning an authentic piece of magic history, just so you know. The Magic Detective Podcast is looking for advertisers. And I'm more than happy to plug events and things once on the podcast, but um, I'm really looking for kind of regular advertisers and preferably advertisers that are within the magic community. Um, the podcast, uh, it, well, it takes money to produce and all that money comes out of my pocket currently. And, uh, and I'm not complaining because I, I, I love doing this podcast, but I have uh, bigger plans for the podcast and I could use some funds to help assist with that. So if you're interested in running an ad on the podcast, uh, reach out to me via email at info at carnegiemagic.com. And just in the subject heading, just put ads. That'd be great. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, I'm also open to reviewing new magic history books. I've done that several times on my blog, themagicdetective.com. So if you've got a magic history book you want reviewed, uh, and you want to send me your book, please email me first at info at carnegiemagic.com and subject heading, uh, magic book. <laughs> and, uh, oh, finally the magic detective podcast now has its own Instagram page strictly for the magic detective. Uh, just look up the magic detective on Instagram and then please follow me as always, please like share and subscribe to the podcast. And until next time, I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the magic detective. Thank you for listening and have a great week.